Well, open your Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 3, and we'll read beginning with verse 7. We're working our way through this book of the Bible. And the, the book early in the first three chapters deals with seven different churches. We're on church six today, seven churches. And remember that the purpose is not just for the churches long ago, but for the church today. And God, who cared about the church at Philadelphia, we'll be looking at today, cares about the church today. And the church matters to the Lord. God is the one who formed the church, and he did it for a reason. There's a benefit. And whether you see it fully or not, we need each other. God made us with a need for others, and there's a benefit to it. So let's read Revelation chapter 3, uh, beginning with verse 7. The Bible says, Write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Thus says the Holy One, the true one, the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, and who closes and no one opens. I know your works. Look, I've placed before you an open door that no one, that no one can close because you have but little power, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Note this, I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not, but are lying, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and they will know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to endure. I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. The one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, the Lord speaks to the church at Philadelphia here, and of course, to the church at O'Fallon, to all who would hear. And he speaks to them about possibilities about doors that are open that he's opened and doors that he closes and God does open doors and God does close doors and really the doors are opportunities God opens opportunities God closes opportunities and he does that for us as well Vicky and I have um, a new puppy I mean it's not a year old it's not brand new but we've we've had it long enough now to know that it was a mistake and <laughs> at least half of our family knows that and it's a, it's a uh, Aussie doodle because you have to get a doodle. You know, nowadays you have to get a doodle, I guess. And it's an Aussie doodle. And supposedly they're supposed to be like really smart. Someone told us they're that's supposed to be the Einstein of the dog world. And it, it is. It's not Albert Einstein. It's his uh, cousin Elmer, Elmer Einstein. But nonetheless, it's the Einstein of the dog world. And so the dog, it's a puppy and it still gets into things it shouldn't get into. And so Vicky got a gate just a gate that we can open and close that you can put in various places to keep the dog from going where we don't want it to go. And sometimes that gate is open and the dog can go if it wants to, and sometimes it's closed. If it's open, it doesn't tend to want to go. If it's closed, it wants, that's the only thing that matters to it is wanting to go through that door. And it's really just about possibilities, what is possible, what is open to explore and to go through. And the Lord gives us possibilities. He opens doors and he closes doors. In your own life, God has opened for you doors of opportunity. And sometimes he closes doors. And so let's look at what the Bible teaches us here about opportunities, these opportunities that God provides. And I want you to note with me three principles. And if you're a note taker, I encourage you to write these three things down. And note, first of all, that God provides opportunities by his strength. That is, the Lord is the one who opens doors. He says in uh, verse 7, the one who opens and no one will close and who closes and no one opens 
It's by the strength of the Lord that these opportunities come. He shows us here in verses 7 and 8 who he is and who we are. And he wants us to see that we need to trust his strength and depend upon him. In fact, let's note what the Bible says here about who God is. He's described, Jesus is speaking, and he describes uh, the Father like this. He says in verse 7, Write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Thus says the Holy One. That's the first description of who God is, the Holy One. Now, the word holy means he is separate and sinless. Separate means God is different than our world. He is separate from our world. God calls us to be holy, and he means by that, one part of that is that we are separate from the world. This world is no longer our home. You're not going to be satisfied with the things of this world. When you give your life to Christ, the Bible says we're to be different. We're in the world, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Now, sometimes Christians confuse that, and they think, well, I, I, I just live like the culture, I'll act like the culture, and the Lord is saying, no, you're different. We're not conformed to this age. We're transformed by the renewing of our minds. We think differently because God made us different. He is holy, and he calls us to be holy. He's separate, and he's sinless. That is, God cares also about what we do or don't do. There may be something in your life right now. Maybe there's something that you know God wants to change or remove or correct. And the God who is holy calls you to live a holy life. If you name the name of Jesus, he wants you to live a holy life. He cares about more than just changing the externals. We'll talk about that. But he cares about the externals. That is, God cares about our behavior because God is holy. And so very often in his word, he talks to us about our attitudes and our actions, what he wants to add or remove or correct in us. And then the Bible says he is the true one, verse 7 says, the true one. That is the Bible saying God is dependable. You know, the world's not always dependable. Have you noticed that? You can't always count on the world. It's, you can always count on the Lord. He's always true. He's always right. He tells us the truth. He wants us to know the truth. He reminds us that he is honest, that he is true, and others might betray you, others might leave you, others might forget you, but the Lord is true. He's dependable and he's honest. And then the Bible says, and he has the one who has the key of David, the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close and who closes and no one will open. The Bible is saying here a couple of things when it says keys, the keys of David. It's reminding us that God is a promise-keeping God. God made promises about the Messiah, that he would come from the lineage of David. God made promises before that to Moses, before that to Abraham. And God made promises that we're in the lineage of this. Jesus followed the, the uh, lineage of David and a part of the promises, the Old Testament promises made that are fulfilled in the New Testament. The Lord said, Jesus is the key of David. All the promises that God made in the days of the Old Testament, he kept. All the promises that God has made to you, he will keep. God promises, he makes promises about forgiveness, about love. He makes promises to you about your future. And the promises that God makes about that future, God always keeps. And the key of David reminds us that a key, if you've ever had a door locked and you lost the key, it's a problem. And you had to find the key so that you could unlock and open the door. And the Bible says, reminds us that the Lord is the means by which, he's the means by which we have access to all of God's promises. Jesus said, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me, except through me, Jesus said. There's no other name given among men by which you must be saved. Jesus, the means, the key by which we can find everlasting life and forgiveness of sins and a home in heaven and, for that matter, the life that God wants us to live in this world. So the Bible tells us who God is, but it also tells us who we are. In fact, I'll use three words from verse 8, about verse 8, that tell us who we are. First, the Bible uses the word works in verse 8. I know your works, the Lord says. God knows what's going on in your life. and said to the church of Philadelphia, maybe you seem sort of insignificant. Maybe others don't see the commitment that you have, but I know your work. I know your ministry. I know your effort. By the way, some of you here, I mentioned a little earlier some serve uh, among our youngest here, people who serve in their teenagers or children or preschoolers, and sometimes those groups forget to say thank you. I think our teenagers and children would like to say thank you. Sometimes they might forget. Maybe our preschoolers, we've got people who serve in ways like that that you just, they rarely get thanked. If you have a preschooler, maybe you just came in busy and you'll leave and grab the child because you've got things going on and the child may not say thank you. And we've got people who have taught, some who teach on occasion, but some who have taught week by week and month by month and in some cases year by year by year by year. And maybe they feel like no one hardly ever notices and few people say thank you, but the Lord knows. The Lord knows. And for those of you who serve, and I just want to say to those of you who feel like you're behind the scenes and your ministry is maybe not quite as public, maybe you're in some area of service that people don't always recognize, the Lord knows. The Lord recognizes. And I am grateful for God. Even when I forget to say thank you, the Lord never forgets. And he said to the church at Philadelphia, I know your works. And then he uses the concept of weakness. That's the second word I want you to note. He says, look, I've placed before you an open door that no one can close because you have but little power. You can't keep the door open, he's saying, but I can. And we are weak. And the Lord reminds us of this. We think we're strong. But when we think we're strong, that's when we're really weak. And when we recognize a weakness and we depend upon the Lord, that's when we're strong. I read... um, recently an article about Arnold Schwarzenegger who man just like an incredible uh, bodybuilding career and strong man all the movies he's 75 now he's not that strong anymore he's had multiple surgeries his shoulders are shot he's had heart problems he's not so strong anymore but let me just tell you something at his greatest height Mr. Olympia he wasn't that strong compared to you no, anyone that's strong, compared to you, is plenty strong. I don't mean to offend any of you. Maybe someone here could match him, but he was weak. He might have thought, man, I have all this power, but his body, without even realizing his body was beginning to, t- to deteriorate, that's the way this world is. And I want you to know, no matter, if you think, man, I, I don't need God, I'm okay, I'll run my life on my own, that is when you're at your weakest But when you recognize your need for God and you depend upon him, that's when you're strong. And I want us, church, to lean into our recognition of our need for God. It's not our programs. I'm thankful for every program we have, but it's not our programs that are the key. It's not our talents or abilities or leaders or it's the Lord himself. And the moment we lose sight of that, that's when we're weak. And when we recognize how 
little we have to offer and how much we need the Lord, that's when we're strong. And then would you write the word itself, word, verse three, uh, verse eight rather says, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. You've kept my word and have not denied my name. That is, we follow the word of the Lord, not just the word of the culture, not just the word of the day, not the easiest path, not the path of least resistance, but the word of the Lord. We want you to read the Bible for yourself. We want you to know what the Bible teaches. You can read the New Testament for yourself. You can see what God has to say. And when we do that, we find something of who we are, and we find even more importantly, more of who God is. And there's a strength in that and a power in that. I know a, a church in southern Illinois in a small town. Now, when I say small town, some of you think of O'Fallon. Maybe you're from a bigger city or something, and you think of O'Fallon. But there are much smaller towns than this, much, much smaller towns than this. And I mean a small town in Illinois, a, a couple hundred people couple hundred people. Some, any of you from, like you're from small town, little really small towns? Yeah, you, you don't even want to raise, you don't even want to acknowledge that. Okay, all right, I, I get it. I mean, that's my background in some small towns. And in this small town in the southern Illinois, this church, the pastor's been there for a long, long time, and this church has more people on Sunday morning, this Sunday morning, they have, they'll have more people in their church services than they have population in their town. Now, what, why is that? I mean, it's not just programs, though they have, I'm sure, some good programs. It's not just the, the leaders and speakers, or the, though I'm sure they have some good godly people who lead and speak. But it is that they have leaned in to the Lord himself and to his strength. And I want us to recognize our weakness and our need for the Lord. We, we need to see who we are and lean into who God is. And when we do, we find he has the strength. He's the one who opens the doors and he's the one who keeps them shut. There's a second principle I want you to note. God provides opportunities despite our challenges. And let's note that the church at Philadelphia had some great challenges, as do you. Let's note the challenges that the church at Philadelphia faced. Verse 9 talks about their religious adversity. In verse 9, Jesus says, note this, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan. Boy, that's, how's that for a great description of a religious group? Can I just tell you, religion, if religion was the answer, if that was all God cared about, well, great. I mean, why would he complain about this group or the Pharisees or the Sadducees? They were super religious. But God in heaven does not care primarily about what you look like on the outside. That's the religious part people see. God cares about who you are, the inside. Now, who you are, of course, affects what people see on the outside. That is, when God has you, he also has your Sunday morning. He has your behavior. But don't think that all God wants is your Sunday morning and your behavior, and that's it. God cares about you. He, he wants you. God wants your heart, your soul, your life. And when he has that, he has the actions that we might call religious actions. There's a reason why we go to church, but it's not just so we impress people on the outside. It is because of who God is and what he is doing on the inside of us that changes our behavior. And so they had some religious adversity, the synagogue of Satan. I mean, that's a, unfortunately, in the name of the Lord, there are uh, churches who deny the Lord himself or who mock the nature of the Bible or who turn people in the wrong direction in the name of the Lord. God wants something more than just religion. He wants you. 
And notice they had the problem of a need for endurance. Verse 10 says, you've, uh, you've kept my command to endure. Even though you've gone through these problems and this difficulty, you've kept my command to endure. Just the idea of endurance means they're going through some hard times and some, some challenges that they would need to endure. I have a pastor friend who just uh, has completed, he stopped now, he ran 153 marathons, one a day for 153 consecutive days. I, I wouldn't have known that would be possible, but apparently it is. I mean, he, he's still alive as of last night. Man, here's, I don't know all the lessons he learned, but I know one thing he learned. He learned something about endurance. I know he wanted to quit. I know that, that he was tired and that he wanted to quit. And I'll just tell you something. Did you know this? In the Christian life, it's not, you're very prone. There's going to be a time in your life, I suspect, where you're going to want to quit. Like your devotional life. Because some of you, there's a time when you said, man, I'm going to read God's word. And I'm going to have this infusion of what God says because I'm getting... I hear what the world says all the time, and, and, and then you get tired. You have a time change. <laughs> you know, you have uh, difficulties. And we face challenges. But the Lord also shows us here God's provision. Notice what the Bible says in verse uh, 10. But uh, because you have kept my command to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come in the whole world to test those who live in the earth. Now, the Lord is saying here, I'm going to keep you from this hour of testing. It's going to come on the whole earth. I'm of the opinion that he's talking here of the great tribulation that we'll see more of in the book of Revelation. The church isn't mentioned again after chapter 3. I'm of the opinion that the rapture will occur and then the great tribulation will happen after that. There are very smart people who disagree on issues like this. That's my opinion. And the Lord is going to keep us from. Now, sometimes he lets us go through problems knowing that the day is coming when I'm going to keep you from that. And then in verse 11, notice what he says, I am coming soon. I am coming soon. And here I think he's speaking of the rapture, that he is going to return, and that one day soon they would meet the Lord, whenever that time is. By the heaven standards, it's soon. So in verse 10 he says, I will keep you from. In verse 11 he says, I'm, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. Some. Sometimes he keeps us from problems. Sometimes he takes us out of problems. That is, sometimes God lets us face problems knowing that they won't last forever. And sometimes God just removes us from the problem altogether. But the Lord is reminding us that he gives us opportunities despite the challenges. And so here's what he says in verse 11. Hold on. Here's the answer. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. Hold on. Now we think we need something more than that when we face challenges. But hold on is really good advice. Hold on. And sometimes that's all you have. You're facing adversity or problems or difficulties, and some of you are facing that right now. Medical problems or financial struggles, relationship issues. And one part of God's word to you is to hold on. To hold on. To hold on to what you have. To trust the Lord through the problems. Sometimes he'll help you through those difficulties. Sometimes he'll remove you from those difficulties, but you hold on. They won't last forever. The day is coming when you will stand before the Lord, but in the meantime, you hold on. Uh, when I came here all those years ago, uh, Jack and Tommy Strickland were active in our church. And Tommy's still um, a part of our church family. Her husband, Jack, passed away years ago now, and Jack was one of those larger-than-life 
characters in our church. Those of you who would still remember Jack Strickland would know that. He was from Texas, and you would definitely, if you knew him, you knew he was from Texas. He made sure you knew he was from Texas. And he was just a larger-than-life personality, retired military guy, uh, just super outgoing personality, um, just a really neat guy. And he got ill and passed away years ago now. And uh, sometime after that, I don't know if it had been six or seven years, ten years, whatever it had been, I, I had talked to Jack, uh, to uh, Tommy. His wife's name was, is, is Tommy. And I've talked to Tommy, of course, many, many times. But one time I, I saw Tommy and I just said to her, Tommy, how long has it been since Jack passed away? And she said, whatever time it was, several years by that point. And I said, I can't believe it's been that long. And she said, I can. I can. Because she lived that pain. And she knew the loneliness. And she understood something of the loss. So what did she do? Well, she held on to what she had. She held on to the promises of God. She held on to the reminder that one day there'd be a reunion. She held on to the truth that God gives us the peace that passes understanding. That God cares about us even when we go through the the difficult moments of life. She held on. And I want to say to you that God provides opportunities despite the challenges that we face. In fact, I heard... Um, Tommy's well into her 90s now. I don't know if I should say that out loud, but I did. So the senior adults would do a ministry where they help with um, those who are homebound. And, of course, she's homebound herself, but she said, I can't help, I can't visit people that are homebound, but I can write letters. I mean, that's, she, I make phone calls, and I love that. God provides opportunities despite our challenges. Number, number three, would you write this principle down? God provides opportunities for lasting victory, for lasting victory. And there are five words I want to suggest you write. If you're a note taker, just write these five words in verses, from verses 12 and 13, the concepts from there that I want you to note. The first is the word strength. The Bible says, the one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. This is about strength. A pillar is what hope. What held up the temple? I couldn't help but think of my dad. My dad never had a pillow in his entire life, but he had lots of pillars in his life. And I'm talking here not about the pillow pillar, but I'm talking about the pillar pillar. And the pillar is what held up the temple. The temple, this beautiful structure made to remind people of the presence of God, was held by a pillar. We're building a new building, as you may know, and those walls are going to, they're designed to hold this, the weight of the building. And The pillar of the temple stood there to hold the weight. There was strength in that pillar. And the Lord is reminding us that he gives us the strength for lasting victory. For lasting victory. I'll make a pillar in the temple of God, the one who conquers. The one who conquers. The second word I want you to write down is the word permanence. He says here, I'll make a pillar in the temple of my God and he will never go out again. He'll never go out again. This is about permanence, about lasting. In the temple, there was a outer courtyard and there was a holy place and then there was a place called the holy of holies and the holy of holies was behind a giant curtain a veil a curtain 
And in it was the Ark of the Covenant. And the top of the Ark of the Covenant was called the Mercy Seat. And no one went into the Holy of Holies except the high priest. And the high priest only went in one day a year, the Day of Atonement. And he would not go in, even on the Day of Atonement, without the blood of a sacrifice. And he would sprinkle that sacrifice that blood on the top of the altar, the mercy seat. And it was a reminder that God looking down from heaven saw not the Ten Commandments in, in the Ark of the Covenant were the Ten Commandments, but saw not the Ten Commandments that we have broken, the law of God that we've broken, but instead the sacrifice made so that we could find forgiveness because of the sacrifice. And, the, and so on the Day of Atonement, on that one day a year, the high priest could go and no one else and no other time. But the Bible tells us that because of the blood of Jesus, shed for us his sacrifice, the lamb of God that was slain. That's, we'll see him described that way over and over in the book of Revelation. The lamb of God slain for us because of his sacrifice. We come into the temple not once a year and not once a week, but every day, every moment, God the Holy Spirit lives in us. We have access to the Lord. The veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. When Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, he paid the penalty. And so this relationship has a permanence to it. Every day, every moment, you can have access to God with boldness. We can go into the presence of God. The third word I want you to write down is the word relationship. The Bible talks here about writing some things. Verse uh, 12 says, I will write on him the name of my God. And then a couple of other things that are written. The name, I'm going to write on him the name of my God. It's like he's branding. And I don't mean the modern use of branding, but like the old cowboy type of branding where a cowboy would brand a cow with something and it would show that that cow belonged to the cowboy. I think of the old Farside comics and far too many of the young people have never heard of Farside comics and it's worth your time, not during the service, but to learn about that some other time. And there's an old Farside comic where uh, instead of like a little, like often the brand would be a little letter or some squiggly line or something that would say this cow belongs to, to this ranch. This guy didn't want to take any chances, and so his branding iron was just a huge branding iron that said something like, this here cow belongs to John W. Smith or something, some giant, and it's the size of the cow, and the cow was terrified at the idea of getting branded with this giant. Well, God in heaven brands us, in a, in a sense, with the name of the Lord. He says, you're mine, and you belong to me. Some of you are here who have never trusted Christ as Savior. And I want to ask you today to give your life to Christ. And if you will, the Bible says God will adopt you into, into his family. You become his, his child. His child. You can know Christ as your Savior, as your Father, and he knows you as his own. And then you write the word home, the fourth word, home. The Bible says, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem. Because there's a home that God's made for us. Because this isn't quite home. Maybe you've recognized that. Those of you who know Christ, it's not quite home. Uh, do you remember the Wizard of Oz and Dorothy? And Dorothy said, there's no place like, do you remember that? There's no place like home. Because... And listen, this is not, Kansas is not home anymore for us. It's not home anymore for us. I mean, we live here. We vote here. We act here. We serve here. But home is something more. God made us for something beyond this world. God created you for something beyond this world. And if you're saved, he saved you for something more than just now and here, but for something to come. And there's a new home. 
the place of lasting victory, no more sorrow or no more death and no more pain. And then write the word intimacy. Because the, the, the Lord says here, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. And then he says, and my new name, verse 12, and my new name. It's like there's this little name just between you and God, between you and Jesus. In verse, in chapter 2, you remember the church at Pergamum? In verse 17, Jesus said about that church, he said, um, to the one who conquers, I'll give some of the hidden manna, and I'll also give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. So the Lord said, I'm going to give you a new name that no one else knows, but you're going to know me in a way no one else knows me. And there's an intimacy with the Lord, not just knowing about him, but a closeness and a connection that lasts. And God's saying to the church at Philadelphia and to the church at O'Fallon, you can have victory. Notice what he says in verse 13. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Are you listening? God's opening doors and closing doors for you. He's saying to you, follow me and trust me. He's saying if you'll stop depending upon yourself, but you'll find my strength. If you'll follow me despite the challenges, if you'll, if you'll follow me, you'll find lasting victory. God has that for you. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? As we pray, as we bow, there's some of you here who need Christ as Savior. And if, if in your soul you're, there's a recognition that you're a sinner who needs a Savior, would you give your life to Christ today? You could pray a prayer like this. God, I know I've sinned against you. Just tell him that. God, I know I've sinned against you. But I believe you sent Jesus to live the life I couldn't live, and to, to die the death I deserved on the cross, and to rise from the dead. And so here and now, I turn from my sin, and I give my life to you, and I ask you to save me. And if you mean that, Christ will save you. He'll save you. We want you to grow in your faith and follow the Lord. Tell me that you've made that commitment to the Lord. We'll help you to take the next steps in spiritual growth. Many of you here who know Christ as Savior, God is reminding you through the church at Philadelphia that he's providing opportunities for you. He wants you to lean into his strength and not your own. He wants you in the middle of the challenges that you're facing to trust him and to find lasting victory. In the few moments you have in this world, lasting victory that endures forever. And Father, I want to thank you for your, for your powerful word to the church long ago, to the church today, to those who lived then and to those of us living now. Teach us and change us and mold and make us. And I thank you for your word. Help us to have ears to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.